Before we begin, a note of warning. The language used and the topics explored in this podcast are not suitable for listeners younger than 18. Your discretion is advised. From the Spade and Archer Studios, welcome to Behind the Yard Sign, the podcast that pulls back the curtain to reveal the real world of real estate with your hosts, Justin M. Reardon and Amy Romberg. Justin! Hello. Amy! Hi! How are you? I am doing really well, and it always makes me happy to see your smiling face. I know this is a podcast, so I'm the only one who gets to see your smiling face right now. But <laughs> uh, I've been watching The Morning Show on Netflix. They, it's about this TV news morning show, and like everybody's always upset and yelling at each other, and they're like, in five, four, three, and then like, they come on like, good morning in today's top stories. And I bet that's what we do. Like You and I get in here, we like talk about other people, and we're like, you know, jabbering yes. and doing the gossip thing, and then the second that that recording comes, we're like, hi, how Hello. are you? <laughs> I mean, I think it's a skill to be able to pull it together really quickly, right? And that probably serves both of us well in our respective businesses. Oh, yeah. You know, you know when you're yelling at your husband yes. or a kid and the phone <laughs> rings, you're like, Spade and Archer, this is Justin. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> so good to hear from you. Well, Justin, I, gosh, I've been thinking, I've been thinking about staging again. I've been thinking what? about staging again. I know, sometimes I think about staging. I actually have a project that I'm working on and it, it started off as a an occupied house, which is why you're not staging it because you guys are not doing the occupied folks but they showed up today and we you know it was just like letting them in and it made me think about I, w- I walked into the house and I feel like all the things that that they asked us to do I just walk in with a very critical eye and I'm like oh my god this house is not as clean as I want it it's just like not as well put together as I want you know I'm sure the staging will make right. it look a thousand times better but it made me think about some questions that I have that I don't think I've ever really gotten a chance to ask you so girl let's do it monopolize okay, me yes great do it. Because these are partially for me, but I also feel like newer agents, I know that I've got, got a couple new folks in my office and we've had some questions about like, well, what's staging all about? I mean, obviously there's a big gamut of things that people can do. There's like, you come in and you do one little thing, whether it's pull the weeds out of the garden or, you know, yeah. you can do like almost nothing to, you can do like the full meal deal. The house is painted and gar- the gardeners come and all this stuff happens before. So there's a gamut of things. So my question for you, and I've thought about this a couple of times is like, if, if I I've got somebody who is not going to do the full meal deal. Like they just, yep. for whatever reason, whether it's time constraints or whatever, what do you feel like is the most important thing? Like where should they put their energy? Yeah. Like, can you even answer that question? Like if they're going to do totally can. Yeah. one or two things. I have like a list of like my top four. Like these are your top, if you are occupied and you're living in your house and you don't really know what to put time towards, because I have had people who have spent hours like organizing their closets. Yes. Because they're like, it's really important to organize my closet. I'm like, no, it's no. not. It doesn't <laughs> no. matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> and my top four things are actually really different than what most home stagers will tell you. Oh, I so, can't wait to hear them. Number one, bring in the light. Walmart did a study. They didn't do a study. They were building a, a building. And part of the design of this particular store was that it had skylights. And they started installing skylights in the back of the building. And uh, halfway through, they ran into some budget constraints. And so they did some value engineering. That's what we call uh-huh. like slashing the budget. And they took out the skylights from the front half of the store in order to save some money. And that usually in a retail environment, the front half of the store will outsell the back half of the store by about a third. So if you oh, wow. sold 100 units in the back of the store, you'll sell 130 units in the front of the store, um, depending on which department is there. What they found in this particular store is that no matter what department they had in the back of the store, it outsold the front of the store by double. Just by having natural light. One of the things that we're very concerned about when we're living in a house is privacy. Well, privacy comes with a lack of light because we cover our windows, we cover our doors. We don't want people looking in on us 
And it is very frightening to a lot of homeowners to think like, take down all your window coverings, not just the window coverings, but like the actual brackets themselves, take it down, patch it, paint it, have those open. And nobody, when they walk in your house and they're buying it, nobody's going to take off their clothes. So privacy is not an issue when you're walking (laughs) through a house. It is light. Get natural light inside your house. Turn on every single lamp inside the house when it's being shown. Get light in there. Even if it's dirty, bring light in. That's number one. Number two, a lot of home strangers will say you should depersonalize the space. We really don't want the space to look depersonalized because depersonalized looks cold and nobody wants to buy a cold home. And so we talk about the idea of just demarking the territory. So territory markers are things like family photographs, personal calendars, trophies, prescription medications, things that have your your name on it. If If you've marked the territory, like Emma, Emma is always marking the territory. Have you been to Emma's house before? Emma has a crib and above it in wooden letters, it says Emma. I don't know why. Emma always forgets her name, but every parent who has a kid named Emma puts her name on the wall above the crib. Uh, it's a really good territory marker. Kids' drawings are good territory markers. Yeah. Um, these are things that like really, really need to come out. If you've got something that says, this is my house and not your house, we just ruined their fantasy of being a homeowner and they suddenly become a welcomed guest in your house and we don't want welcome guests. We want homeowners. Yep. So we okay. need to be able to have them see themselves there. So number one, bring in the light. Number two, yeah. demark the territory. Number three, we really need to make the house be the star. And so that involves a lot of taking away anything that is emotionally evocative within the house. And so emotionally evocative items fall into some really basic categories. So it could be uh, religious effects, uh, things that put us into categories of us versus them, what we would call political effects, uh, vices, um, which would be like, you know, bottle of wine or a bottle of whiskey that's out or a picture of somebody smoking cigarettes or, you know, religious effects could be something like a Buddha or a crucifix. Um, When you are a Christian and you see a crucifix, you go, oh, Jesus. And when you're not Christian and you see a crucifix, you go, oh, Jesus. Same words, different emotions. But what you're not saying when you see a crucifix is, I want to buy this house. You are suddenly thinking about religion or your lack thereof. And so we really want to move those emotionally evocative things. Political effects could be like an American flag or a Trump hat or a Barack Obama book. Uh, These are things that put us into categories of us versus them. It could be an OSU or U of O banner, a WSU banner, a Seattle Seahawks banner. What that does is whatever happened with the Seahawks last night, whether they won that game or they lost that game and you walk in and you're thinking about that terrible field goal that got missed and they lost the game, you're not thinking about the house. We buy houses with our emotional part of our brain. It's not the part that says the lion is in a cage. I'm safe. I don't have to run away from the lion. It's the part that when the lion lunges at you and you're like, wow, you're scared. Even though you know the lion can't hurt you, that's the part that we buy our houses with is the emotional part. And the emotional (laughs) part is able to concentrate on one thing at a time. It is really freaking fast. It will always beat the logical part of our brains. Mm -hmm. And it it was very seldomly correct. So the logical part of our brain is usually more right than the emotional side, but it is slow. It takes a long time to get there. Um, And so these emotionally evocative items really, really, really have to come out of a house. And so political effects, religious effects, things that have to do with vices, uh, anything with like nudity, anything like that, that all has to come out. And then the last one is is making the house the star. And that means keeping it kind of calm, like not trying to make the furnishings be the superstar in that house. Let the the house be the star. We We liken it to the idea that the house is Tina Turner and the furniture that's in it is the backup dancers. That's that's where we're really trying to get to. Bring in the light, yeah. uh, demark the territory, take out the emotional evocative items and let the house be the star. I think like the way my brain works is I was like, okay, so maybe you're going to tell me that I really need 
need to paint or I really need to make sure everything is really clean or I really need to like, but I love that there are these things that sort of fall before those that are, sounds like even more important and, and sort of like are under, like they're the larger umbrella of how you, how you prep a home. Yeah. We sold our house two years ago in 2018. Um, the first thing we did was we moved out. And when we moved all of our stuff out, that house had been cleaned every week for the 10 years that we lived there. And when yeah. we moved our stuff out, it was flipping disgusting, yeah. like so gross. And just getting your furniture out of the way. I mean, you can clean your house as much as you want. It's never really going to be spotless. And people are there for five to seven minutes before they decide they do not want to buy your house. And the things that are going to make a difference is not necessarily about how sparkly clean and perfect it is. We really just, we need that light to be on there. And it should yeah, gosh. Okay, this Get is, rid of any oh, smells. That's oh, a big can one. we talk Get about that? smells, yes. I have a basement situation and I think it's teenage boy. I mm. think that's what I smell. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. any, any suggestions for that situation? Yeah, so a lot of times the industry says that you should just put a plug in there that smells like apple pie and now it's going to smell like apple pie (laughs) and teenage boy. I fully disagree. Um, There is a product called a true air plug-in by Febreze. Um, It's about the size of your hand. You can find it on Amazon um, and at Target and I think at Walmart. Um, It's all one word, true air. There's no E in true. So T- R-U-A-I-R, True Air. It's a very cool looking thing. It's a charcoal filter with a fan behind it. And you plug it in. They last for about three months. But in about 48 hours, you can demust a basement with one of these little suckers. They are wow. amazing. They're like maybe 25 bucks. The filters are, I think it's like 10 bucks for three of them, something like that. They are amazing. They come with this little thing that's scented like pine trees. Take that and throw it away. Yeah. <laughs> Just use the filter itself. It's a very interesting tool in that it, it removes smells. It does not replace or cover up smells. And so that one is, is really a really cool tool and works really well with boys. The other thing to do there is Febreze unscented spray on any upholstery. Boy smell is actually, it's, it, this is so gross, but it is actually caused by hormones. It is an oil oh, in I'm your sure. skin. I'm sure. When my son was 12, 13 years old, he would take a shower, he'd get out of the shower and stink. I mean, like yes. immediately, like he, <laughs> fresh out of the shower, stink. I was like, wow, that is amazing. Yes. So I looked it up. It is technically, it is like literally, you know, when like dogs stink and they have that gland that's under yes. their tail? Yeah. It's an oil. Like, that yeah. is really a thing. And it's very, very hard to get rid of. And those Febreze plugins, they the True Air plugins, they work really well. They're unscented. Get those bad boys. I know one of the other smells that I've walked into and really noticed in homes before is like, oh, somebody was just cooking fried food. And it's, I don't, like, <laughs> well, how do I? It's made worse in, in my book. And this is obviously personal opinion here, but it's made worse by the apple pie scent over the top. Like yes. that you're tends like, oh, to make fried me. fried shrimp with apple pie. Yeah. Yes. Mm. And, and yeah. then you're like, what else are you covering up with that smell? Like that's yeah. how I often end up. <laughs> so the solution with cooked food is is ridiculously simple. So we want to take a plate, like a salad plate or a dinner plate, something that has a large surface area, and we want to pour white distilled vinegar, any kind of ah. vinegar will work, but white distilled vinegar is the least expensive. Pour that in there, get a large surface area of vinegar, and just let it sit out for three or four hours. It is amazing. It will eat up cooking smell in three or four hours. It, it's phenomenal. It works so fast. Yeah, it's great. Great. The thing... <laughs> The thing is, is that you have very, very clear, very, very still liquid that you inevitably forget that you put it on there. So you got to pick up that plate and you spill it everywhere, <laughs> every single time. Um, 
So maybe you put like a little post-it note on it that says like, you know, vinegar. Um, so, so you don't forget about it. Um, oh my, my gosh. It drives my husband crazy because every time he fries fish, I always put out the, the bowl of vinegar. He inevitably picks it up to wash it and spills it. And spills it. Spills so, it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, another trick to go along with that. So when you were preparing that food, you probably took and peeled some garlic and you got garlic smell on your hand. Uh If you take a stainless steel spoon and rub the back of that stainless steel spoon on your hand while you're running cold water on it, it will remove that garlic smell from your hand. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's works like a charm. It's crazy. You can wash your hand a thousand times. It it doesn't go away. Yeah. Rub a metal stainless steel spoon on your hand and and it goes away. You are a wealth of good tips. (laughs) today, Justin. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Uh The other one that we use, um, so you know when you move the furniture out and you have those weird divots in the carpet? An ice cube. Uh, So like, let's just say it's like a little one inch circle mark on there. If you put like two ice cubes or three ice cubes on there and just let it sit there, come back the next day and just rub your hand over it, it will all fluff back up again. It's that very slow dripping of liquid down into the fiber that loosens it and makes it so it's not squashed down anymore. It is. It works like a freaking charm. This is amazing. <laughs> and I've been teaching my people amazing. this for years. That now we'll walk into houses and we'll be like, "Oh, because there's little ice cubes all over the floor." <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is great! And like they had just been by that morning to like drop the ice cubes off. It's such a simple solution, but it totally works. I both love and find daunting the process of listing prep. You know, you walk in and someone's looking at you sort of wide-eyed, like, what should I do? And you're like, oh my gosh, what should you do? I mean, how important do you feel like, I mean, bring the light in. So so paint is important, right? Color choices are important. Like, what do you do with that if you have your druthers? Yeah, I mean, if we have our druthers, so every paint has what's called a light reflectance number associated with it. And so light reflectance refers to the amount of light that bounces off of a color. And so black is going to have our absolute lowest light reflectance. White is going to have our absolute highest white reflectance. A lot of people think that silver would have the highest because like mirrors are so reflective. Mirrors actually reflect less light than just flat white walls. They just do it very directionally. And so they have it all concentrated in one direction versus white that it when the light bounces off it, it bounces off it in many directions, but it actually reflects more light than a mirror does. And so if we can paint our spaces as white as much as possible, the better shape we are um, when getting those spaces put together. Here's the thing that's terrifying. When you paint a space white and there's no furniture in it, it looks cold and empty and lifeless. Uh. And it's not until you bring the furniture in that you go, oh, okay, this totally makes sense now. So sometimes painting a space white is a little bit horrifying. So have you gotten those phone calls where people are like, I painted white, like you said, it looks terrible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Endlessly, every week, every single day. And then we say the same exact thing. Please let us put the furniture in it. And if you don't like it, we will take the furniture out. We can repaint it for you. And inevitably, every single time, they're like, it's fine. We're good to go. But the initial shock, it's like, you know, when you first go get bangs cut? (laughs) Yes, yes. Yeah. As a matter of fact. Yeah, it is Uh that for you. Oh my gosh, Justin, I am so sorry. Uh, I just got a crazy text message. I, I got to go. That house that I'm listing, it's haunted. I got to go. Oh man, happy Halloween. That's awesome. Okay, cool. Uh, give me a call when, you get, when you're done and maybe we'll have you come back. I'll take Alex myself. She's in the back. She's in the puppy room with Tina Fey and, and Amy Poehler. They're petting puppies. Uh, we just added it to the green room. I'll go get her. You go deal with your haunted house. I'll see oh, you in a second. Great. Okay? I'll, be back. I'll be back for the puppies for sure. Okay. Thanks, y'all. 
Alex Fatui, it's so great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for coming. What did you think of the green room? I felt like a celebrity. Puppies just always tend to do that to you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, we had that puppy room built in, and I felt like who would be the best people to hang out with and pet puppies for a day? And I was like, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, of course, that would be a perfect combination. So I'm glad that you liked it. Amy had to run out. She had an emergency. Um, She found out that a house that she is closing on was actually built on top of a cemetery and seeing that's how it's spooky Halloween time right now she had to go deal with that right away so <laughs> we're gonna do this one I guess she'll her. have to be forgiven this one time if she like makes it through the haunting I suppose <laughs> no kidding no kidding yes. it's like poltergeist come to life Alex tell us how long have you been in real estate for four years it has felt like 15 <laughs> We were talking in the last episode about real estate years, that it's like dog years, except for the exact opposite, that one year in real estate is like seven years in real life. What were you doing before this? Like, where did you come from? Where'd you grow up? Tell us about how you got here. Sure thing. I was actually in education. I worked for the YMCA for a long time and I was a fundraiser and I raised money to support after school programs. I ended up there because I thought I wanted to be a teacher and I had worked in education basically my entire young adult life. I went to school at San Francisco State University. I got my degree in child and adolescent development. I had gotten into grad school. I was going to get my master's and teaching, you know, all of those fun things. But, you know, I never felt like that was what I really wanted to do. It just felt like something I was good at. I grew up in Sonoma, California, which I get asked all the time, like, oh, Sonoma, Sonoma, Sonoma. And I'm like, yes, I went to Sonoma Valley High. I grew up going to the plaza and I like shoplifted out from like little tiny stores when I was like 12 years old. And my mom would have to like bring me back. Like, no, you have to pay for the bubble gum, Alexandra. Yeah. And so it's funny because I always get pinpointed when people hear I'm from Sonoma. They're like, oh, you must be wealthy. Does your family own a winery? I'm like, no. I grew up in Northern California as well when I was a kid with my mom. And I always think of Sonoma as like, you know, rolling golden hills with beautiful green oak trees. That's my thought process. And so is Sonoma known for like being, you know, uber exclusive rich? Is it like the Malibu of Northern California? Oh, it is really bougie now. Okay. Yeah. When I was a kid, not so much. No, I mean, we, my family moved there in the eighties and it was a cow town. There was no tourism and it was a farming agricultural town. And now it is definitely upper middle class, lots of second homes, people from San Francisco moving in and bringing lots of wealth. We got married there. My husband and I actually grew up together. We haven't been together since we were 12, but we've known each other that long. And when we got married, we were like, well, we're going to go home and get married in Sonoma. We thought nobody would come everybody. Oh yeah. We will be there. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) What did your parents do? What were they, what was their careers? I come from a really simple upbringing. Actually, my dad was an insurance auditor and was Mm self-employed my entire life. And my mom was a stay at home mom. I think I was in sixth grade when she finally went back to work and she worked for the schools. My dad had a college education. My mother did not. We grew up in a modular home. My parents rented until I was in high school. There was just real estate and homeownership was not something that was valuable 
and my family. How did you make this leap from education <laughs> and fundraising for schools to, to real estate and especially real estate in Seattle specifically? I ended up in Seattle for love. Like I mentioned, my husband and I known each other for a long, long time and we reconnected as adults and he was here doing his, finishing his PhD at UW and I finished school before he did. So I moved here just for a summer. I got a job with the Y running summer camp, you know, rah, rah. Mm-hmm. And I I had a blast, figured I'd stick around in Seattle, got a job, a long-term job with the Y, and I was not making very much money. Nonprofits don't pay you well. You do a lot of wonderful, great things for others, and it's a fantastic service, but it was very hard to make ends meet. And moving from San Francisco, I was used to having three jobs and working nights and weekends and just finding a hustle so that way I could have a little bit of a lifestyle. And so I just found myself in that same role here, and I found a gig on Craigslist to make some extra pocket money, and I started managing some Airbnbs. And so I I was cleaning houses and I was hiring people to clean houses and I was helping to coordinate bookings and it was great extra money. And I had actually done very similar work when I worked in San Francisco. I put myself through college. At SFSU? Yeah, at San Francisco State. And Mm -hmm. I met a couple of um, young entrepreneurs and they needed somebody like me to like come and manage their house and clean the house and look after the kids. And so I just kind of had always had these side gigs. I was always uh, hustling a little bit, like to make my own yeah. money. And um, I found myself doing that here again. And I have a friend, he's still a friend. I've known him a long time and he sells real estate down in San Jose and he had just finished his second year and he was doing really well. And he and I have very similar personalities and backgrounds. He's like, you should get your real estate license. You'll do great at it. It's like, no, that sounds like not a job I want. And my father-in-law was like, you should get your real estate license. <laughs> and then I started asking people and, you know, what do you think about this career for me? And it sounded like a great fit. And a lot of people were like, I don't like realtors because they're skeezy and salesy and you are someone personable who's also intelligent and who likes to work hard. So I think that you would be a really natural fit for a lot of people who aren't inclined to these high pressure sales environments. And so I quit my job and we lived on beans and rice for a little bit. I got my real estate license and I was delivering packages for Amazon. I I hate not earning money. I just can't not do it. And so I was managing Airbnbs, delivering packages for Amazon and trying to find somebody who would want to work with me in real estate. And so called some folks and I got connected with Philip Blinky at Lisa Novak. Philip Blinky works for Cole Banker Bain. He's like an institution there. And Lisa Novak was working at Avenue Properties, now Compass. They both needed someone like me to help them smooth out their business. And so I got two great offers to come work with two powerhouse people. And I ended up working with Philip Blinky and he just brought me along on this really wild and wonderful ride where I learned so much. Which is where we met. Yeah. Because Philip is a longtime client of ours. And now you have become a long-term client of ours, which has been fantastic. So were you specifically like on his team? And then did you, how did you transition from being on a team to being on your own? Yeah. So I was kind of like the first agent on Philip's team. So I got to work through a lot of the initial pieces of what 
building a team looks and feels like. And Mm -hmm. it's so much work for everybody. There's just a lot of unknown, especially real estate in general. Real estate is just a big, wide ocean. There are obstacles and there are hot patches and cold patches. And there's just all sorts of different types of obstacles. And Philip just has so much business. He is just so well liked by his clients and well respected by other realtors. There was no time to breathe in the beginning because it was just work, work, work. I think that first summer we had like 12 listings and I started working with him in February. And so by the end of August, I had done like 12 listings, had helped him get, you know, six buyers in the contract. So my first year I had 15 transactions under my belt, which was really invaluable. Thinking back on it, I can't even believe I pulled it off, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's, it's great to have a good mentor, you know, to have somebody that you're working with that knows what the heck they're doing. That being said, there are a hundred different ways to skin a real estate cat. And, you know, like you said, it's this wide ocean and, you know, we work with what 500 different real estate agents and every real estate agent has a different way of doing their transaction. They're all kind of similar, but the details from from step A to step B to step C, they're all a little bit different. So did you find that learning how to do it one way made it so that you could build your own processes off of that? Were you able to look at that and say, okay, well, this is good, but I feel like we could do it better by doing it this way. How much has your business changed from how you were doing it underneath somebody else to how you're doing on your own now? I think that was part of the reason that I needed to leave the team actually was because I needed to find my own way of doing things. And so there are certainly a lot of pieces of the business model that Philip and PBNW uh, Homes Northwest does that I still implement, but there are definitely things I've left behind or have turned into my own business practice. When you're first getting into real estate, your number one concern is how am I going to make this happen? Where am I going to meet the clients? Because if you don't have clients, you can't make money. Every good realtor takes care of their people. That's what you do. And there are so many different ways to take care of people. And one of the big reasons I left Philip's team is I had a baby. I was like pandemic baby. And then my bit. Yeah. fun. Still is. Um, But you know, my business just skyrocketed during that year. Like 2020 was just an insane year for real estate. I had so much of my own personal business that I wasn't working any team business anymore. And so I was like, I think this is my time to go and do my own thing because like, I'm really not involved in what the team is doing anymore. I'm just trying to like keep afloat on my business. And there were certain things I wanted to try and do. And I was feeling like I am ready to be my own boss lady. And I took the plunge and it was really scary. And I do miss the team dynamic. I do miss it because this business can be really lonely. But when I left the team, seven other doors opened. It was like all of a sudden, all these people in my office wanted to work with me that felt like I was too busy to work with them previously because I was so busy on the team. Teams teams are really busy people. <laughs> right, right. And so, you know, I started to work with other people and I started to learn from them and they started to learn from me. And I was like, oh gosh, had I been missing this the whole time? That's interesting. Mm. This feels good in a different way. There's not a lot that you can move through in real estate. Like once you're a realtor, like you don't really become the boss. Like if you want to be self-employed, their next step is to maybe manage a team or manage an office. And so I think a way to get variety is to start working with other people. And so I'm starting to mentor new folks, which feels so good because someone gave me a chance 
and I wouldn't change it for the world. And, you know, these new people are coming on and I'm like, oh gosh, I totally remember that feeling. Like, let me help you. (laughs) Or like, don't do that. It's a waste of time. Like go do this other thing because um, you're just going to spin wheels over there. So are you doing it in a way that when you have a listing come on, you go and you're like, hey, Josh, I want you to co-list this with me. Or are you waiting for folks to bring you projects that say, hey, Alex, I want to co-list this with you. Are you initiating that? Or are you waiting for other people to do so? Or is it a combination? of the two? I am absolutely initiating that. I, wa- okay. I feel like there is a lack of leadership in our industry to bring on new people without the expectation of receiving something in return. If you are a high producing broker and you sell over $10 million of real estate a year, you have enough business to keep you very, very busy and to keep definitely enough money in your pocket to have a nice lifestyle. I just see so much wonderful talent in our office come and go. And the reason that they go is because they're not making any money because they're not getting the training that they need. There's only so much training you can have behind a Zoom or going to classes. Like The best training is to sell. Hands on. Yeah, Yeah. to get in there. And, you know, it's like you tell your clients, hey, I'm a mentor. Most people love that. Most people have learned a new job before. So, right. Or like when you go to the doctor's office and they're like, hey, we have a student here. Is it okay if they hang out during your exam? And it's like, yeah, absolutely. Of course. When I first started Spade and Archer, this is now going on 12 years ago, I called every home stager in town and just asked for a coffee date. I was like, can I take you out to coffee? I just to pick your brain for an hour just to see like what it's like. And I got a total of zero coffee dates. There were 16 home stagers in town when I did that. And every person either didn't reply at all or they said, I get questions like this all the time. I don't have time for this. And I made a commitment at that point that if anybody asked me to go to coffee, anybody I will spend an hour with them. I will hang out. Like during the pandemic, it was like, I'll spend an hour with you on Zoom. But right now it's like, if I can, if I can go out and grab a coffee with you and just have a discussion and just talk to you, I might not open my books and show you exactly how my business runs, but I will certainly spend an hour to at least chat with you and talk to you about the industry because I feel like there is an abundance of work out there. And I love the way that you're doing this by co-listing with people, actually taking them through the process. How many folks have you done with this, this with so far? I've done it with three so far. And I've got them on a nice rotation. You know, every property, every client calls for, I guess, certain type of services. And, you know, those people are starting to get busy now, too. That's the whole goal. Get them busy, get them training, and then they're going to go and kick butt and be successful and hopefully, you know, be an ally in in the industry here for me. Are you doing this as like an internship basis? Like, thanks so much. You get the experience. I get your help. Or are you offering them a commission split? Are you paying them hourly? Like, what does that look like? I pay a commission split. We work in sales. Most sales jobs, you earn a commission or you earn a bonus on top of your salary. If there is one thing I could change about the real estate industry is the expectation that you need to work for free when you begin. We're all independent contractors. So, you know, there's no incentive really for independent contractors to take on a new person. It's not like you're going to hire them long-term. Maybe you will. But, you know, to give somebody a chance to pay them 10, 20, 25% the transaction, depending on how much work they're doing and how much experience and knowledge that they have. Because like, let's get real. 
these people are coming from other jobs. <laughs> Most times I don't really want people straight out of college. I serve, you know, an older clientele. I want someone who's a little bit more mature, has a little bit more life experience because this job is very demanding. You have to answer the phone at night, be available on weekends, know how to problem solve. Like you got to have a lot of tools in your tool belt that I feel like only come from years of work in life experience. I pay people. I've never had someone work for free for me. I will work for free for others. Like when new people need some help, like just on revising a transaction or like looking through an offer or something like, Oh, I'll pay you. I'm like, that's stupid. I don't need to be paid. I will happily mentor you. Usually mentors don't get paid, but if you do an internship, I feel like you could get paid. (laughs) Yeah. I have three young gay men that I mentor on a regular basis. And then I also have a fellow business owner that I mentor as well. And you know, you don't get paid as a mentor, but I feel like everything that I've given back to them has come back to me in spades. Like I end up learning from them so much and it helps me relate to my younger employees. It helps me figure out what the heck is going on. You know, when you have an hour long conversation between a mentor and a mentee, it's an exchange of ideas. And all that we're doing as mentors is we're just speaking from experience. Like, Hey, I can't tell you what to do, but when I was in that situation, this is what I did. And this is how it turned out for me. So I, you know, I, I love that relationship. It just makes me so happy. And I'm super adamant, like go talk to other people. Like I am not the end all be all know all like, don't put all your eggs in my basket quite yet. Like I'm not ready to build a team. I don't know how to do that. I'm still trying to figure stuff out. So don't plan on me to be your one and only go talk to some other people. And you know, the people who aren't afraid to ask and aren't afraid of the word no. I mean, those are the people who are successful. Those are the people who get coffee dates, the really persistent ones. And all the people that I mentor, like I know they're going to be so successful. They just need to learn how to do the job. I mean, half of it is showing up. The other half is actually asking. We talked about this when you go out to a bar. Nobody's going to talk to you unless you talk to them first. It's the same thing in real estate. You got (laughs) to talk to them first. You and I have something in common. We both are grossed out by the word luxury. Oh God, I know, I know. I know that luxury is a really big buzzword in real estate in the in the 2020s. And it's become this thing that has just been kind of homogenized as to what the idea of luxury is, you know, and if it has champagne, if it has sequins, if it has, you know, a a boat attached to it, then it must be luxury. You and I have very much bucked this kind of overriding idea in the real estate industry that luxury is where we all want to be. I'm not interested in luxury. I'm interested in somewhere between aspirational obtainable. And so what is it about luxury that says that why, why do you call yourself the unluxury agent? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's start first. I feel like I provide luxury services, yes. but I'm not interested in the luxury market. So what's I, the difference? Tell me, tell me what the difference is between those two things. I feel like luxury comes with expectations. I also feel like it comes with a certain social price tag. And you have to run in certain circles and maybe drive certain cars or wear certain Carry the clothes. right purse. Exactly. Yes. Or yes. go to all the hippest restaurants. And I am, I come from really humble beginnings and I feel like real estate is for everybody. I really honestly feel that way. I love to help people purchase properties and lower end price points. People who don't think that they can do it. I love to help them make it happen. I like working with my clients, not for my clients. And in my Ah, experience mm -hmm. in working in luxury markets outside of real estate, fundraising is a lot of this too. You're working with, you know, the 1% to please donate half a million dollars to a cause. 
you're not really ever on their playing field. You have to run and act like you are, but you're not, you're a service provider. And I feel like in my business, I am really partnering with my people. And I help a lot of friends purchase property and I help a lot of friends of friends. And all of a sudden I call them freelance and they're like friends who become clients or clients who become friends. And I just love my people so much. You spend so much time with your clients when you're working through a real estate transaction. Sometimes it's a year long plan. Sometimes it takes a year to find a property. Sometimes it's just like a month and a half. And I feel sad that I don't get to spend more time with those people. And I just don't ever want someone to think that I am too fancy or Mm -hmm. too unapproachable for you. Like that is never, ever my goal. I mean, I have purple hair. Like, I, I love your purple <laughs> hair, by the way. It's fantastic. I wear weird glasses and chunky docks, but I can like dress nicely and look professional yeah. and be that way. But yeah. I think it is, it can be a little off-putting sometimes for people that um, like, I am just a pretty like down to earth person who gives back in terms of like we, being open. We very much feel one of our mottos and one of the things that we we consider our differentiator at Spade and Archer is that good design cannot exist in the absence of good service. But what I find is that when we get into that luxury quote unquote market is that we cease to be a service provider and we start to be the help. A service provider is a member of your team. The help is beneath you. And it's a really icky feeling. I mean, we already know that we are there to provide service. We're there to work for this person. We're there to make their dreams come true and to get their houses sold or to help them buy houses. And so we're already coming from a place of service. But then when you get spat upon, it just kind of grosses you out. And I will be perfectly honest with you, there are certain neighborhoods that were just like, oh boy, here we go. Um, (laughs) This is this is gonna be difficult. And every once in a while somebody surprises me and like they're super down to earth and and they're easy to work with and it's not a big deal. Um, But then there are other times where it's just like, you know what, I don't really want to do that market. That isn't really what I enjoy working with isn't how I enjoy being treated. I certainly do not like having my people being treated that way. And you know, I've got 22 employees. You can spit on me. Like <laughs> I'll, I'll handle it. But I get really, really upset when my people swear at my employees because they just, they aren't paid enough to be treated that way. And so I am with you on that whole luxury front. It comes with a lot of baggage, that term luxury. Yeah. It's like you can have wealth and nice things without it being considered luxury. I just, I do feel like it's a really toxic and divisive word. It's all like back to this idea of like the American consumer. Like when you think about what that word means, when we are referred to as the consumer, it's like we're just this giant Pac-Man mouth and we're just here to like buy and purchase and consume and waka, 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 waka. And it just kind of grosses me out. I'm like, is that all we are? Is just a thing to spend money and that's it? Sometimes it feels that way. It does feel (laughs) that way. Especially when you're buying a house. Yes, the consumer. So you had talked about working with other agents in your office and you're always the one who has to kind of reach out and say like, hey, I want you to work with me. In many offices, every month there's a leaderboard that's put up that says like, these are our top 10 agents or this is our top performer for this month. And you have fallen into that category of top performer for a long time. Does that make people afraid to approach you? Do they feel like you're too busy or do you feel like you have a target on your back? back and how do you work through that frenemy feeling in an office where you where you're working with but you're also competing against your coworkers? I sure hope there is no target on my back. If there is, I don't feel it. I will say that Cobble Banker Bank Capitol Hill is a really supportive 
office. It feels like the unicorn of colleagues. I've never worked in another office, so I don't know where it feels elsewhere. This is Todd Shisley's office, by the way, who is like one of my besties. I love that guy. He's the best. Yes. And you know, culture really matters. And so will I say that there is competition in our office? Absolutely. It's a competition driven industry. I wish that it didn't feel like competition. I I wish it just felt like coworkers who were performing for their clients and for the industry. There is enough competition to like get the house, like win the listing or win the offer competition. I think that it gets to be a little dangerous when you feel like you're competing against your fellow realtors. Like we're all in this together. They're in my line of thinking. There is like, I don't have a scarcity mindset. I think that a rising tide carries all boats. Sure. It feels good to be in that top. 10 list. It's really good marketing out to your clients and your sphere. Like, look, I'm a top producing broker. I'm not part-time. I'm not getting my nails done every week. And this is like, not a hobby going to, to the spa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I am a career realtor. I like, I care about the, the numbers and I care about the data and what's going on in our city. I don't think that there is a target on my back because like, I also am that person who just like talks to everybody. I have never fit into just like one social circle my entire life. I've always been a little bit of the black sheep, round peg, square hole. What's that saying? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All I know is that I feel like it, maybe it's different elsewhere, but I just never want the people who are not on that list to feel like we are not peers playing at the same level. I love that idea of reaching out and being like, hey, you come work with me. Let's let's do work together. And, you know, that may end up turning into a partnership for you at some point where you find somebody you really like working with who has the same, you know, work ethic as you. And it's almost like kind of doing a, a real slow interview. It's like a like a dating. dating. You know, you're like dating in a little while. You know, I'm going <laughs> to hang out with you for a little while on this one, then go to this one. Tell us about your hardest day in real estate. It was when I was helping friends purchase a property. They had looked for so long. It was just a really unjoyous search for them. It was a pandemic. They have like two kids under five. It was just a really nasty time of year to be looking for houses. There's nothing on the market. Drudgery. Yes. It just really was unfun a lot of times. The only fun part was like we knew each other and we could like make light of the crummy situation that they were in. (laughs) And so closing day, we had done the walkthrough a couple of days before. Everything was all hunky-dory, super jazzed, had the balloons out, red bow on the door, champagne, so much fun and getting ready to leave. And I was like, okay, let's just do like our last little loop in the house because we've just been upstairs the whole time because we were so fun, having so much fun. But we get downstairs and there is blood everywhere, busted window, and it just looked like it was January. So somebody needed a warm place to sleep and to have a shower and they cut themselves, looks like pretty severely when they were entering through the house. And what was really scary is that the door was wide open. So realtor mind, I'm always is like on high alert. Where is the creeper? Um, I was like, that person was probably there when I got there. Cause right. I arrived an hour before the client did to kind of like get set up, but I didn't think to go downstairs because I was so busy trying to like set up this perfect moment. Celebration. Exactly. Because it had been so painstaking for them. I'm trying to hide my fear about what's going on and just to problem solve because they're all they're thinking about is we have to call the police and report this. And like, they're not going to care. The police don't care. They have bigger fish to fry. Of course, this is your home. All you can think about is like, well, shoot, we're moving in next week. What if this person comes back? It's starting to feel unsafe. Where we live is supposed to be a really safe and sacred place. Right. And 
you know, I immediately had to go into problem solving mode. Okay, where can we get ply board? Where we need to go get gloves and bleach? Because the listing broker right. didn't care. She didn't drive over to solve the problem. They're like, we closed. Good luck. Bye. We wish you the best. Yeah, that, that bloody mess comes with the house. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. So, you know, it just was, it sucked a lot of fun out of it. And it just took a, more time for them to then recover and like, find the joy in their new home. And it's all been great since, and it's been months and months since they've moved in. They're so, so happy. And it just feels like the right home for them in the moment. It just felt like, what? Yeah. why did we buy this house? Every <laughs> transaction is a roller coaster. And, you know, the best part is supposed to be the day when you go drink the champagne and then do the key exchange. And then that's a pretty high perch to fall down, down to. Like, there's a stranger in our house and they're bleeding. <laughs> Yeah, yes. totally, totally. I feel you. Uh, tell us about your best day in real estate. Best days always seem to happen when I'm on vacation. It's like, Dude. maybe I should just go on vacation all the time. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I wish, girl, I wish. <laughs> but seriously, like the best days and the worst days, they're both very client related. I had been working with these. They were freelance. Again, both times yeah. freelance. Um, I have been working with them for a long time, like six months. And six months isn't a long time, but we have written a lot of offers. They were on a time schedule. They were having another baby and they just really needed more space and needed to get this thing done before the next big life milestone took over. And so I have, I set realistic expectations with my clients. Like if I offer number three, we haven't gotten the house. We need to have our little come to Jesus moment. Either yeah. I'm not meeting your expectations or you're not meeting my expectations in terms of taking my advice and maybe it's not a good fit. Well, yeah. we had written three offers and on the fourth one, they were like, so are you going to ditch us? I was like, no, no, this is purely <laughs> circumstantial. Like this is because of the real estate market, not because of you. And so so they were doing a good job listening. They were doing what they were supposed to do. It just wasn't happening. Yes, exactly. Okay. And so I had to go on vacation. <laughs> oh, no, wait, hold on a second. We wrote one more offer. So we wrote a fourth offer. Didn't get it. It was yep. like beat out by a couple thousand dollars. And then they were Oof. like, so um, we promised we're not going to fire you. That was like the joke on the next one. <laughs> we're not going to fire right, you. Right. And the day I was getting ready to leave for vacation, the, the house came. I was like, okay. Oh. We're, I'm going to meet in the morning. I got the car all packed up. Like, let's go see it. And sure enough, we walk in. We're like, okay, this is the one. We're going to pull out all the stops. We're going to go as high as we possibly can. We're going to wave all the things. So I called my girlfriend and I said, okay, I need you to take over. I will pay you X amount. Make this happen because I'm going to. This is so a fellow agent. Yeah. Fellow agent, the girlfriend. Okay, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I'm on it. We're going to make it happen. Got already got the inspection scheduled. Sewer scope's happening tomorrow. We're on it. Because, of course, yeah. I was going on vacation when there was just no service. We needed a break. So offer review day, I get the call from my fellow broker. And she's like, Alex, they're going to get it, I think. But we've been through the ringer. We submitted on offer review. And then, obviously, we were the best offer because he sent out a call out to all the other brokers, you know, highest and best in one hour if you'd like to make any updates. Yes. It is the worst <laughs> business practice. Like, why set a review date if you're going to yeah. have a second yeah. review date? Like, come on, right. don't be so greedy. Maybe you should have priced the home higher. I, I don't know. Yeah. Don't take it out on us. Well, there was one sucker who decided to come and improve their offer. And I was like, you do not let my clients budge. Like, don't let's not let them get bullied by this broker. Like, we wrote the winning offer and I stand firmly behind it. And so... 
barely getting the texts. I'm like having to walk around the house with my phone to go and like find the good Wi-Fi yeah, spot. Signal. Yeah. And so I get the call that we've got it. Like I'm breaking up. I said, I need to call them. I'm not going to let you take this moment from me. <laughs> and my husband is like, what is going on? And I nickname all of my clients. And I was like, oh, these are my blah, blah, blah people. And he was like, you need to go get in the car Go find service and tell them the good news. It's like, oh, I love you. <laughs> what a sweet supporting husband. He's yeah. the best. I mean, he just knows. You know, we've bought and sold property too. Like he gets the emotional yeah. roller coaster that is real estate. And so I I don't often cry in real estate. And this is a moment where like we just all had really big happy tears. And it was just a really overwhelming and wonderful thing. And they ended up like moving actually really close by to where we live. So they then became neighbors, which is fabulous. But you know, it just feels good to win for your people. It's like the best and the worst days are like when you feel like you're losing and you feel like you're winning, honestly. Alex Fatui is a real estate agent with Colwell Banker Bain in Capitol Hill. You can find her on Instagram. It's at alex.fatui and that's F-O-T-O-U-H-I. Fatui! It's a private account, but I will accept. I just try to keep all those weirdos at bay, you know? Totally. Totally. I totally get it. Yeah, reach out to her. You can find her. She's fantastic. Uh, We've been working with her a couple of years now. Alex, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's been super fun. Have a great rest of your spooky day. Amy, I'm so glad you're back. Your house was haunted. What was up? Well, it turned out it was just a malfunctioning Halloween decoration. They couldn't (laughs) figure out where the noise was coming from. It was just like, ooh, ooh. Well, you know, sometimes when those clients call, you just got to go. You just got to go. Absolutely. That is definitely one of the things about this business that is amazing and challenging, for sure. Kooky, spooky, make you want to (laughs) scream. It sounds like you had a great conversation with Alex. I did. I took her back to the green room. She's going to go back and and pet the puppies again. Did you get a chance to pop into the green room when you came back? Just the sea of puppies warmed my heart. Oh, and it was so sweet of Tina Fey and Amy Poehler to stick around and pet the puppies with you guys. It's so (laughs) awesome. I hate dogs, but I actually love puppies. So, yeah. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) If I could just have a perpetual puppy at all times, it'd be good to go. Yeah. I must have had a bad experience at some point along the way. But one of the things she was talking about was this idea that she's just like grabbing rando new agents and being like, hey, why don't you do a transaction with me? And she's doing a commission split with them and she's like teaching them how to do it, which... Uh. So I she's mentoring. This idea that like yeah. she's mentoring, but she's also it's like a it's like a dating game. Like she's dating all these different agents, and maybe like maybe along the way, maybe she can figure out there's like a partnership or something that's there. Oh, I love it. Yeah. What was your experience like coming into this? Like, how did you learn how to how to real estate? I mean, I think my experience was actually I bet mine is the same as a lot of people who have started in the past year, just because I think starting real estate in the pandemic, it's like was just it, it looks really different, yeah, <laughs> or so I hear. Yeah. I. I unfortunately really missed out on the opportunity to like really settle into the office and like, you know, have those hallway water cooler conversations with agents who were in my office who've been there for a long time. So there were a couple things that were sort of put in place formally, but I actually feel like I relied a whole lot on some of the agents that I uh, have outside relationships with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And my principal broker, who is Joe Stillwell, who's really wonderful. I was actually just talking to somebody today about the first 
time I wrote an offer, he was like, we zoomed together and he went over it piece by piece with me. Cause it, the first time you do that, you're just like, they're letting me fill out this form. Like, what am I doing? <laughs> and I think I had him do it the first couple times. And then I was like, I think I'm okay. And he was like, are you sure? I think he was a little worried about me out there. I love the idea. I love what Alex is doing. I would think that that is to allow new agents to get their feet wet like that, because the, the more times you do it, the less intimidating it is. And you're like, oh, you know, you lay a little bit of a foundation and to have somebody sort of formally, you know, mentoring you in that way is probably really invaluable for folks in our office. I mean, I mean, I encourage you, like, I know you've been doing this for a short amount of time, but you've done how many transactions now? Do you, do you know, are you counting? I know you have more, more transactions than fingers and <laughs> than fingers and toes. At this point, it's like, hey, you know, I would encourage every agent, like reach out, grab a new agent, yeah. figure out a, a split with them, like mentor somebody, spread the good news. Yeah, you know? I like that idea. I have not actually done that where I like fully bring someone in for the whole transaction, but I have yeah. really worked to reach out to a couple of the newer agents in my office. In fact, I just was talking to one today because she has her first closing, which I was, I just called to congratulate her because it's a really big deal when you have your first closing. And it was so lovely. She was like, I think this means more to me than like passing the test. And I was like, oh yeah, it does. Because this means you're like actually (laughs) doing the work. And that is impressive. And it's hard. I have said it before and I will say it again. There's a very low threshold of entry in real estate. There is a very high threshold of success. And so, you know, it doesn't, you got to pass the test and you're in, but to really actually do it and make a living off of it, that takes an awful lot more than just passing a test. Yeah. For sure. But I think I might take that idea. Thank you for that. You know, we're always looking for guests to be on the show. I have asked a couple of escrow officers out there if they would come on the show and just kind of break down where all the fees go. Oh, I love uh, it. When when you buy a house, like where does the money go? And so if you are an escrow officer out there and you're listening to this podcast, as I know there's a couple of you out there, uh, we would love to have you on the show as like a side segment uh, outside of the main interview and just kind of walk through with us where the money goes. Like when you get that huge stack of 50 pages and it tells you what happened. If just like a brief outline of like, this is what the escrow officer get pays and this is what the title guy gets and this is what the inspector gets and this is what the real estate agent gets and this is what the home stager gets and like kind of just break that down for us. We would love to hear from you. Um, give us a call. You can find us at spade-archer.com. Just click on the podcast link. Amy, what's the best place for folks to find you? I'm easily found at amyromberg.com. Yeah, and you can find us at spade-archer.com. Our producer is Joe Schmo. <laughs> Music was written composed and performed by Joff Metz. You can find him at fivestarguitars.com. Our editor is Richie. Richie, you always make us sound so darn intelligent. Thank you, Richie. I don't know how you're doing (laughs) it, but it is like a good cosmetic surgery job. (laughs) Well done. And so uh, thank you so much. If you've got a story that you want to tell, reach out to us. I'd love to say thank you so much to Alec Fatui for being on the podcast today. And thank you to all the folks who have reached out. We are having a great time just getting this podcast along and trucking. We'll see you next time, Behind the Yard Sign. This production of Behind the Yard Sign was brought to you live from the Spade and Archer Studios. Spade and Archer Design Agency is the world's first guaranteed home stager.